0: Hello, and welcome to the Diversity Beyond the Checkbox podcast, season five. I'm your host, Jackie Ferguson, certified diversity executive, writer, human rights advocate, and co-founder of the diversity movement. On this podcast, I'm talking to trailblazers, game changers, and glass ceiling breakers who share their inspiring stories, lessons learned, and insights on business, inclusion, and personal development. my guest today is David Ryan Castro-Harris. David is the founder of Amplify RJ, speaker and facilitator. David, thanks so much for joining us.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me. It's good to be here.
0: So David, I always like to try to start by asking a little about you, you know, whatever you'd like to share, whether that's your background, something about your identity, your family, what would you like to share?
1: Yeah. And I think a good place to start is just my name, right? David, Ryan, Barcega, Castro Harris. Barcega is my uh, middle name, which is my mom's maiden name. And I think names are important for a lot of reasons. Uh, David is also my father's name. So Ryan is a name that on the surface might just seem like, oh, it's a name. But uh, because I'm half Filipino, uh, Filipino culture, they do interesting things with names sometimes. So R-Y-A-N are letters taken from Ruth. My maternal grandmother's maiden name and Y-A-N from Yolando, my maternal grandfather's uh, name. That's that. Barcega um, is my mom's maiden name in Filipino mm-hmm. culture. Uh, we often just slide that in as the child's middle name. And then Castro Harris is the name of that both my wife and I have, right? Uh, We both decided to hyphenate and, you know, Castro has Italian roots thinking about the explorers who quote unquote explorers, colonizers, if you will, uh, who came to, Central America. Uh, Her family has roots in El Salvador and immigrated here um, as refugees. And then thinking about Harris, a name that has Scottish roots, right? Uh, But that was given to my dad's family, probably by the people who enslaved us and quote unquote bought us after we were brought here against our will um, as cargo from West Africa. And so when I think about who I am and whose shoulders I stand on, if you will. My name encompasses so many of those things. Beyond that, I use he, him pronouns. I'm a brother, son, grandson, partner, soon to be father. Very <sighs> nervous about that <laughs> uh, and excited. Name. But yeah, that, that's me. That's
0: fantastic. Thank you for sharing that, David. You know, I want to dig in a little bit on the name because very often in our culture or in our society really we kind of skim over that or mispronounce stuff and like oh they know what i mean or people feel a need to even sh- shorten their names to make it easier for other people to pronounce or you know tell me a little bit about you know if you've talked to your parents about like where your name comes from cuz you've got all of this amazing information like what was their their thoughts around being very deliberate and how to, to name you. Right. Did did you have a conversation with them about that?
1: I think my dad just wanted to name me after himself. Um, and (laughs) Ryan is my aunt's middle name as well. So my mom's sister, like she had that name from her parents. Right. And so like, that's where that came in. And so like, it also means like beloved. David means beloved and Ryan means little King. And so like, I think that was like a part, a part of that. But you know, I think in growing up, like I've decided to give it more meaning than most people I think do. Right. Uh, Growing up, I was Ryan because people didn't want to confuse me for my dad, my parents, but like I, when I was uh, 11 years old, going into eighth grade, I was like, Ryan is a child's name. I'm David now. (laughs) So it's kind of been that ever since. Um, I've gone by David Ryan Harris. I've gone by DRH. Uh, Most people don't call me by all five names. Most people call me David. Uh, But I really do think it's important to be able, especially when I tie it to this work, to be able to take that time to slow down and say like, no, this is who I am. Mm -hmm. And it's important. And I'm not saying that everybody has to do this for themselves, but if you decide to make meaning and be intentional about certain things about you can really have an impact on the people that you're engaging.
0: Well, I love that you're embracing your family and your ancestry all in that name, right? Do a lot of people ask you about that as part of, right?
1: Well, yeah, like I'm pretty upfront with it, especially when we're in spaces where I may be facilitating. um, Mm -hmm. And I think it really just makes people like stop and think about their, who they are. And I think, you know, so much about the work that I do is about, you know, our ancestors have done so much to bring us to where we are and we are future ancestors. So what is the impact that we're going to have on the world? So yeah, those are just some of the ways that I think about all this.
0: That is great. You know, we often don't think about that, but we are future ancestors and we, we do have to think about you know, all of us, right? What's the legacy that we want to leave? So I love yeah. that. Let's talk about Amplify RJ. So RJ stands for restorative justice. Let's right start the conversation by understanding what restorative justice means.
1: Yeah, thank you for that question. Um, the reason that I started Amplify RJ is because when you hear the words restorative justice, I would guess like maybe Two to five percent of the population can give you a good definition, a classic definition from someone named Howard Zur would describe restorative justice as a process to repair harm between people to the extent possible involving the people who have caused harm, repair the relationship, right? Mm -hmm. When I think about restorative justice, I think about it a little bit more expansively. I think about it as a practice, but also like philosophy and way of being that is rooted in our interconnection, right? And when I talk about interconnection, I do think a lot about our ancestors. When we think about Words like Ubuntu, right? I am because you are, or I am because we are, right? Um, That's a core um, principle of many people in Southern Africa, right? Think about the other half of my ancestry. In Babayan, which is a pre-colonial language of the Philippines, there's this word kapwa um, in Tagalog, which is modern Filipino. It's this idea of togetherness, but kapwa in Babayan is this idea of inner self and all beings is connected, right? And it's not just Africans, it's not just Filipinos. Um, here on this continent, right, the Lakota have this phrase, and like we are all relatives. Uh, the mm-hmm. Diné or the Navajo have this phrase about uh, Hoso, like like inner peace and harmony between people. Uh, the Mayans have the phrase, In la can, I am another you, you are another me. And so when that's the organizing principle of your people, of your community, when there is conflict, of course you're going to want to repair harm, right? Because those people are a reflection of you. You can't throw somebody away, right? Restorative justice is the opposite of punitive or retributive justice, right? Where we are causing more harm to the person who caused harm, right? That's not yeah. fixing a problem, right? And so... To restore back to a relationship, um, to restore a relationship to being in right relationship, that's so necessary. It's often a lot easier to do that restoration piece if we don't, sorry, if we already have relationships rooted in equity and trust to start with. So I think there are proactive things that go along with that, but that is a framework for restorative justice right there.
0: Got it. Got it. That's helpful. Thank you. So, David, you're talking about repairing harm how do we begin to do that as individuals?
1: Yeah, and I think, you know, thinking about harm can be like a very expansive question, right? Even as I thought, I talked about like, you know, my ancestors were brought here Mm -hmm. (laughs) against our will as property, right? Like that is what many call the first harm. I would call it the second harm of of this country, right? The first harm being genocide of the indigenous people who were here, right? Mm -hmm. And so like, how do we repair that harm? well, those are like 400-year projects that happen moment to moment, right? There's systemic harm and that systemic harm that continues to happen because of the way that it's been uh, white supremacy and colonialism and imperialism have it been uh, entrenched in all of our systems. But we can also think about not just the institutional and systemic, but the interpersonal um, harm that happens between people. And like that's where I think many people start with this, right? If you think about somebody who has caused you harm, think about the feelings that you feel in that moment when you've been harmed or the feelings that you feel like in moments after, right? And what do you need? You know, you're often gonna feel angry, upset, hurt, uh, maybe fearful, maybe lonely, isolated, you know, like there's physical hurt uh, as well as like mental, emotional shame, guilt, right? And you need support from your community, right? Maybe it's like your physical needs getting met. You need time and space to process things. Uh, You need an acknowledgement of the harm happening to you. You need to make sure that it doesn't happen again. You need to be safe, right? You know, and so, you know, sometimes your community can meet those needs for you. Sometimes those are things that have to happen from the other person. But if you think about a time when you caused harm, right? Intentional or unintentional, like what you felt and need, in the moments after are often really similar, right? When you cause harm, it's probably because you were trying to get a need met, right? So like you might be feeling angry, upset, sad, frustrated. And then after that happens, like, oh, scared about what's going to happen to me. Also lonely and isolated, fearful. And you need support from your community. You need to make it right. You need to apologize. You need to acknowledge that you caused harm, right? Uh, You need support in taking those steps to make it right. You might just need some time and space to process it. You need to be safe. Uh, And so like thinking about people who cause harm and who have been harmed, needing similar things really puts us in this position where it's like, one, we can intellectualize that, you know, quote unquote, hurt people, hurt people. But like, we are all people who have caused harm and are harmed it happens every day. And so how do we move forward in a way that is not throwing away people who cause harm because that's all of us. Yeah. Right. And, and like, of course it happens at different degrees and there are people who have or are dedicated to like I'm going to stand in my wrongness um because like I don't want to give up power or perceived power, but I think that's a really helpful framework for people to start thinking about like What are the needs of the people involved in instances of harm? And how can we meet those needs, either as the two people involved or the community that supports those individuals?
0: Yeah, that's such good advice, you know, and just thinking about we're all people who cause harm and have been harmed. So it it kind of level sets, right? Because what happens, I think, in conversations that I have with professionals or with people, you know, just in the community is that. They don't know what to say. They don't know how to apologize. They don't know how to own that, right, that hurt that they've caused. And and a lot of times just realizing that, you know, as they move through their day to day, they can be causing harm, right, with microaggressions and just, you know, different ways that they're not being respectful or sensitive or creating safe environments. So. I, I like the level set of where all you know people who have caused harm and have been harmed. Are there one or two things, David, that you would recommend, you know, in thinking about how to repair that? So the apology piece and, and acknowledging that. Yeah. Very important. How do we how do we start that conversation with someone that we feel we've we've harmed, right?
1: Yeah. I think one of the fundamental differences between restorative and punitive approaches to harm are the questions that you ask in the process, right? With a punitive approach, it's often focused on rule breaking, right? So like what rule or law was broken, who did it, and what can we do to them to to punish them, right? Um, That's a different set of questions from what happened, who was impacted and how, and how, what, do we need to do to make things right or as right mm-hmm. as possible, right? So if you're someone who has caused harm in that process, right, it's really going to a person who you've harmed and said like, hey, I did this. I am sorry for doing this. I'm, I'm not sorry if what I did hurt your feelings. Like, I'm sorry for <laughs> doing this. I understand yeah. that it had XYZ impact. If you know, yeah. And if you don't know it's like, hey, I would love to hear the impact that this had on you and anything that I can do to correct it and really be open to that, right? You can't just say that and like have expect someone to share those things with you, which is a very vulnerable thing. And it's like, hmm, sorry, not gonna do that. (laughs) Uh, but sorry, you know? Yeah, Um,
0: Yeah, I mean, that's such good information. And you know, for me personally, just to share, David, I'm the the type of person that's gonna apologize if your feelings were hurt, right? Mm-hmm. Not apologize. Like I'm I'm getting, I'm now learning right in the work that I'm doing that there's a, a better way to apologize. But a lot of times we're even in the apology, we're still kind of on the defense, right? And we've got to be able to open up so that it encourages other people to open up. Restorative is, is such a key word. And I, I think that's amazing.
1: Oh yeah, and it's built into our culture, right? To protect mm-hmm. ourselves, right? Um everybody's afraid of being canceled, but like what's underneath that, right? People often talk about that as like being afraid for their livelihoods, but I think underneath that is like people are afraid of being disconnected from their communities, right? And when we move in a world that so easily cuts people off, there is a lot of good reason for people to be scared because humans mm-hmm. crave connection. Human beings want to be in good relationship with each other. And so what is the thing that we're going to do? We're going to deny this harm or like, oh, I'm sorry. If your feelings were hurt, that wasn't my intention. So I can still stay in good relationship with like all these other people. So they don't think I'm bad. Right. Mm. But you know, we're not like, I I don't think the good, bad binary is helpful to describe people. I think are actions that cause harm and their actions that are beneficial. Right. Um, right. And we all do both every Mm -hmm. single day. And so, while we intellectually know those things, they're not always present for us. And to extend that vulnerability for ourselves is something to model, right? Day-to-day, moment-to-moment. It doesn't happen every single time, but like, what if we did it one more time than we did before?
0: Mm -hmm. I love that. David, tell me what Amplify RJ does.
1: So Amplify RJ is a platform dedicated to educating people about restorative justice on two mm-hmm. levels. One on like this massive public education like I want people to know uh what restorative justice is yeah. uh beyond just like op- oftentimes when people hear restorative justice they think about it in the uh in the circumstances of the criminal legal system or like Mm -hmm. alternatives to suspension in school. And like while that repair of harm process does exist there and is needed there, I also want people to start thinking about all the ways that we proactively practice some of these ways. And so like that massive public education is one way so people can understand like, oh, this applies to like our everyday interactions as well, not just like it belongs in these spaces. The other part that of what we do is um, offering deeper learning opportunities courses, classes, workshops, professional development, and uh, providing community for people who are trying to continue to learn this work moving forward, right? Because like, this isn't just something that you intellectually take a workshop, got it, check the box, move forward. Like, if you're not practicing being this way with people who are also trying to practice with you being this way, um, they're not going to take root and last. So deeper learning with community uh, to support
0: love that. And it's so important in just reiterating what you said that it's a practice, right? Mm-hmm. It's something that's you're continually doing. You you can't get to the end of it, right? Where you're like, okay, I've I've got it, right? It's something that you do in every single day in in all the ways that you're thinking about engaging with people. So that's that's so important. David, I'm interested in, you know, I always ask this question about how people get to what they're doing, right? Mm -hmm. Where their passion is. Tell me, you know, certainly you're very connected with family, but how did you get to this as a passionate part of your life work?
1: Yeah. So I think my family raised me to be someone who was of service to others Mm -hmm. and that could, that's, that's infinite. That could be a lot of things. I think when I came out of college, sorry, came out of high school, I I wanted to be a psychologist, like a counselor, because I wanted to help people in that kind of way. I did general ed my first year of college. And so I wasn't really taking psychology classes. But as soon as I started taking psychology classes, my second year, I was like, "Mm, no, this isn't it. But like, (laughs) so I quickly changed to a major, I became an x-ray tech. And that was something that I, you know, I knew I could complete a degree in four years and have a job and have a job forever. Um, I still am a licensed x-ray tech. Um, I don't practice anymore, but I I am still that. But after doing that work for only a year, I realized that, you know, it wasn't stretching me as much as like I could do in the world. Mm -hmm. And so I started working in this employment program, helping folks find work. And in that employment program, the The people that we had the uh, most difficult time working with were those who had records with the criminal legal system, right? Because they would go apply for jobs and either lie on their applications saying that they didn't have a felony and then get fired two weeks later when the background check would come back, or they would be honest and have their applications thrown in the trash, right? And so at that point, I started thinking about how to subvert the criminal legal system understanding that like the school to prison pipeline exists the foster care to prison pipeline exists the war on drugs is still an issue right why aren't we doing things to subvert all of that right how are we meeting the needs of the people proactively and how do we have an alternative instead of just like throw all these people in jail and along the way i found the word restorative justice um mm. and it's kind of been i mean it started with a youtube wormhole and then reading books and going to grad school finding mentors being annoying and showing up (laughs) at trainings, begging like, hey, can I do this for free? I don't have any money. I'm a poor grad student who's driving Uber for a living. And being in relationship with folks who are practicing this way, being this way, they taught me that, again, Like my initial thoughts about this were like, oh, subverting the criminal legal system, which Mm -hmm. is important. But that's where I learned how these are community practices um, rooted in all of our uh, ancestry, right? And how can we acknowledge the like you know indigenous folks here on this continent right practice these ways? They still have kept these ways alive. And how can we continue to make sure that folks remember you know that this is our way of being that will help us be in the right relationship? Absolutely.
0: Just again to reiterate what you're saying, it's about the relationship. It's about connectivity, right? And and it's so often that. As a society, we're looking to categorize people and put them in boxes different from ourselves. But what you're saying, in 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 so many beautiful languages, right, is that we're all connected, and finding that way to be connected gives us more of a accountability to each other that I think aligns with with restorative justice, and I, I think that's beautiful. And and if more of us focused on that, right, what What kind of world could we create together?
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Love that. David, tell me the difference, in your opinion, between restorative justice and diversity, equity, and inclusion.
1: You know, in the last year and a half, right, since May, June of 2020, there has been a reawakened or... I don't know what word we're using right now. Reawakened racial justice reckoning. There are lots of people who make arguments that like there hasn't been a lot of real impact. But let's say that like there has been a raised consciousness for some people about the need for more diversity, uh, equity, inclusion. And I think when we look at the root of the word diversity, right, it's just about like you know different people from mm-hmm. different backgrounds being in a space, right? The origin of the word uh, diversity, diversas in Latin, right? One of the first times that it was used was in a papal bull called doom diversas, you can look it up. That was the Pope giving the King of Portugal, the okay, to go into Africa and diversify the kingdom of Portugal by bringing back slaves, right? To serve the kingdom. Like we are diverse and have we included them (laughs) into our space? (laughs) You know, we have. Right. And I know that inclusion can be about like, you know, belonging and making people feel like they have power in the space. Equity, um, I think, starts to get us to where like people from different backgrounds are included into these spaces and are included in decision making and have power in the spaces. But conversations around diversity and inclusion are often Just about how do we include people from, quote-unquote, include people from, quote-unquote, diverse backgrounds into our systems that are entrenched in white supremacy already, right? Mm -hmm. That aren't interested in power sharing, that are defensive about the ways that they cause harm, that are about efficiency and profits over people, right? Mm -hmm. They are about making sure that things get done with a sense of urgency. They're about, you know, hierarchies. They're not about acknowledging and celebrating people for all of who they are. I think that proactive piece of restorative justice where we're getting to know each other, when we're in good relationship with each other, where we're seeking to meet each other's needs within the context of a company where you are working side by side with people or where you are serving people who have different identities that are marginalized, like you're really working towards equity and being in good relationship. Those are different approaches. And I think restorative justice not only gives us a different frame, right, to one, acknowledge that interconnection and wanting to be in a good relationship, but also being able to repair the harm that has happened and continues to happen.
0: Got it. And David, what do you say to pe- people that say, that was so many years ago, right? <laughs> like you can't, po- we we can't possibly be affected or be, be angry about something that happened 400 years ago or more, right? Yeah. What, what's your response there?
1: First of all, I'm not often in conversations with people who are asking those questions because I think, like, when we're talking about restorative justice, you've probably done a little mm-hmm. bit more work than that. All right. But, <laughs> <gonna cry. laughs> but I think, like, I would bring it back to some of the questions that I asked earlier. Right. We think about what happened, right? Mm-hmm. And that's why teaching history is so important. Not, like, I would, I saw something on the internet earlier today about like instead of calling it critical race theory, just call it actual U.S. history, right? So, like, if we think about what happened in U.S. history and then think about that's the, what happened, the impact of that, thinking about how people have been impacted generation to generation to generation, you know, what are the things that we can do to make that right? Even though that it wasn't you, like, there are still impacts. Um, even though it wasn't me, there are still impacts, right? And so, in order to make things equitable, right, if that is your goal, there are probably some things that need to change. There's some power that needs to be shifted. Um, and I understand that feels like loss, but if you don't want to be about equity, just say it. And then all right, we know where you stand, you know. Yeah. And I, I think a lot of people who are coming with those questions aren't necessarily operating in good faith, right? They're just mm-hmm. trying to like they're they're being defensive of their position, their power, and you know, the way things have been.
0: Yeah. That makes sense. You know, from my perspective as I work with organizations, I'm often asked the question about why does this matter now, right? Why do we have to move in this direction, which is a little bit scary for people and a little bit uncomfortable for people to, you know, change the way they've always thought about situations or people, right? And and to So the people certainly in your circle around restorative justice are different from people that are encountering these ideas for the first time. But many of our listeners are trying to like wrap their head around all of the things that come with, you know, moving away from, you know, white supremacy and, and the way that, you know, things have always been done, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm using my air quotes for those that are listening.
1: (laughs) Right. Always been done. Sure. Like over the last 40 years, 150 years, mm -hmm. 400 years. I Mm -hmm. get that that's a long time, but over the span of human history, like it's not that long. There was a world uh, before, there's a whole world before the systems that we had. And, you know, I understand that late stage global capitalism has made things a lot more complicated, but I think- for those people, right, who are struggling to even say the words white supremacy, right? Because I know that's the thing. And I know I just like kind of just casually slipped it in there because that's yeah. the language that I use. And to for folks listening, right, not white supremacy, marching with the Klan, burning crosses, using racial slurs, or marching on the Capitol <laughs> um, on January 6th. I'm talking about white supremacy being the way that whiteness um, and white bodies are upheld as powerful, right, moral, just, mm-hmm. um, and privileged in almost all institutions that exist within Western society. And that system is upheld by people of all different backgrounds, right? In order to get to where you and I are, Jackie, even as people of the global majority, um, white mm-hmm. people aren't the global majority. Uh, they're the global minority. Sure. We have had to assimilate in some way, shapes and forms into whiteness and white culture in order to be where we are. And we're trying to, dismantle those things. But I would, what I would say to people who are struggling with those ideas is not to always use the language like that. Mm. Start by talking about their values, right? And when you have someone talk about like compassion, respect, equity, all right, those are values. Those are abstract ideas that most people can agree about. All right. So what do those values look like in action?
0: That is great advice, right? Because sometimes, you know, when you get into those phrases that are hard to say, as you said, Mm -hmm. right? They're they're hard to just have them come out of your mouth. But, you know, when you think about your personal values, right? Those are things that we can agree on, on. You know, when you think about compassion or you think about respect, I don't think most people don't think those are important, right? Like, I want to give respect. I want to be compassionate. Most people think that. So then it becomes about, all right, how do we do that? How do we do that in a meaningful way?
1: Yeah. Will you respect me by using the pronouns that are my pronouns, right? Mm -hmm. Will you respect me by not making fun of the way that my hair is styled? Will you respect me by not interrupting me, right? Like, these are, like, simple things. And if, like, we take, like the the politics of like the left wing agenda and critical race theory and the queer agenda, um, like out of those things, it's just like human yeah. to human, like mm-hmm. treat me how I, I'm asking you to treat me right. Mm-hmm. With respect dignity, equity, give me the opportunities that you would want for yourself, right. For your children, mm-hmm. people who both cause harm and are harmed, like feel the same things, need the same things. It's, you know, full circle moment right there.
0: Absolutely. Let's talk about your goals with Amplify RJ. What do you hope to accomplish long-term with your organization?
1: I've been working a lot with educators, right? And part of that is just due to my network and connections that I have. And uh, the words restorative justice do travel a little bit in education circles people might not fully know and fully practice well, but like there are a lot of educators in a lot of school systems that are trying to implement restorative practices. And so um I've been able to do that. But what I've realized is, you know, very, very few educators learned about this in their teacher training in college and university. And so providing deep learning for those folks. It's not just about a, um, okay, this, full day pd and now you've got it no like these are right. <laughs> these are practices about about who you are and so like providing those learning opportunities either through schools or um as individuals coming to like some of my public facing work i think this work belongs in corporate spaces as well i yeah. i've learned over the last year of trying to have conversations in the dei world people aren't necessarily ready for that Yet on Mm -hmm. on, in mass on scale. And so um, that's a little bit more of a long term thing outside of the teaching and learning in, you know, whatever spaces welcome me. I really do think about that massive public education piece, which, you know, thinking about like the currency of the 21st century is people's attention and where's people's attention. So how do we make sure that themes of restorative justice are showing up wherever people are consuming Mm -hmm. content, whether that is in like mainstream media, like movies, music, and TV, or like on social media. And so continuing to grow my platforms and try to like influence other people creating to include those themes um, is, is part of like the larger goal.
0: Yeah, I love that. Thank you for sharing that. I love that you're working with an education system because I think that is the beginning of the breakdown of where we start to separate, right? Not understanding the ramifications of things that occurred. Or, you know, I, I read something where someone said that, you know, one of the issues is that slavery was taught as the history of Black people and not the history of white people. Right right and so what does that look like right as as us history as you said earlier rather than you know history and then the the little chapter of quote unquote black history which is separate from the rest of history right and then what's the pull through from slavery to the 13th amendment and the w- loopholes that were created there and you know, the the inequities in lending and education and criminal justice and, you know, so many different things, because it's not back to my earlier question. It's not about 400 years ago. It's about how that pulls through generation to generation to generation, which is why we need restorative justice. Am I right on that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think in some ways, like that's a bigger question than I have answers for, yeah. right? And I know it's not all my responsibility to be able to solve <laughs> the last 400 years of white supremacy on this continent. But um, the more people start thinking about that, the quicker we'll get to some of those solutions.
0: That's absolutely right. And I think just to reiterate for our listeners, wherever you are in your journey of understanding the, just the concepts, right? When When you hear white supremacy, And your initial reaction is defensiveness. Remember that this conversation and what we're talking about today is about being connected with other people. And we can all certainly agree on that. And how do we make that happen for ourselves and for our families and for our children, right, who we're teaching and and within our, our workspaces as well? David, tell me about your podcast. So you have a podcast. It's called This Restorative Justice Life. Tell us about it.
1: I actually have two podcasts. Oh, okay. One is This Restorative Justice Life. The other one is called Diversity and Inclusion, Revolutionary Reform. That one's newer. Uh, it's with my uh, with one of my partners in this work, Connie nee Chu. And on that podcast, we talk with diversity and inclusion advocates, academics, professionals, and even people who are doing work inside organizations about the limits of DNI and whether or not like this is really what's going to get us free towards liberation, or if it's just reforming these systems of white supremacy to like be more compassionate overlords. So that's one podcast. Um, whoa,
0: whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You can't skip past that. I'm going to need to rewind the tape on that one. So that we're doing more than just being more compassionate overlords. Is that what you said?
1: <laughs> right. Are we, reforming, are we reforming these systems to like, great, you call me by my pronouns and you celebrate my heritage month while you still exploit labor and XYZ. Right. Or are we really transforming towards power sharing and equity and justice Yes.
0: All right, <laughs> meeting awesome. people's needs?
1: So that's that piece of uh, my podcast life. The other one is this restorative justice life, which is a podcast that I've been running for over a year now. And that's a podcast with restorative justice practitioners, circle keepers, and others doing this work about how this way of being has impacted their personal and professional lives, right? Many of these people work within the criminal legal system or within schools or within organizations, but we talk about their journey similar to the way that I shared with you about how they got into this, uh, Mm -hmm. the different ways that they've been impacted by this, right? Because it's not just about like, hey, I prevented this kid from getting suspended today (laughs) or like, Mm -hmm. hey, instead of 10 years being locked up, like this person was able to sit and go through a restorative process um, and make amends and repair harm. It's also the impact that it has on us. And similar to DEI, there's not necessarily like a pipeline for like learning how to be restorative, right? And so on that podcast, we share a bunch of folks' stories. Some of them are my mentors, some of them people who I've admired from afar for a long time, and some of them are people that I've just been connected with over the last year or so. Um, And we have really fun, generative conversations about this work and its role in the world and our individual lives.
0: Love it. Thank you for sharing that. David, one question that I ask every single person on the podcast Tell us something about you that not a lot of people know.
1: Yeah. And this comes to mind because we were just talking about it at dinner yesterday uh, or a couple of days ago. Um, I had dessert first. It was They were donuts from one of my favorite places here in LA called Donut Friend. And then as we were starting to eat the meal, I was like, ooh, I- I'm not feeling as good. Like my sugar tolerance isn't what it used to be. Like I love donuts. But um, as I'm getting up there... With a slowing metabolism. Uh sugar does things to me that it didn't used to. And um, I know that's part of growing up and making better decisions <laughs> about that, but I don't have to like it.
0: Right, <laughs> I just have to make peace right.
1: with
0: it. Oh, you know, the aging process is <laughs> is not for the faint of heart, as they say, right? <laughs> wow, that's awesome. Thanks for sharing that. I love dessert first, though. That's that's really cool. You know, it's been uh that's one of the fun things about like being a grown up cuz I remember when I could eat dessert first, like when I was I had moved out and I'm like, "Oh, I can do what I want." And that's a great feeling and then moving into like, yeah, I got to reduce the sugar, reduce the alcohol, reduce <laughs> all those fun things that you do in your your mid 20s, early 20s, right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> right.
0: So What's the message, David, that you want to leave our listeners with today?
1: Mm -hmm. I thought about this earlier, and I think the short version is, no, the world wasn't always this way, and it doesn't have to be this way going forward. Mm -hmm. But in order to change the world, you have to change yourself. So change starts with you. If you want to see these changes, do the work.
0: Do the work. Absolutely. So David, tell us how people can connect with you and learn more about Amplify AmplifyRJ.
1: Yeah, um, AmplifyRJ.com, AmplifyRJ um, on all social media, uh, AmplifyRJ at gmail.com if you want a direct line. Um, those are all the ways we are uh, coming out of a strategy planning time and some Offerings might be a little bit more available that are public-facing, but I'm always happy to talk to you about uh, what this work looks like um, in your context, in your organization. So holler at your boy.
0: Wonderful. David, thank you so much for spending some time with me today. It was really interesting to dig into restorative justice and understand for our listeners what that means. And learn more about your work and and what you're doing and how we can contribute to that. So thank you for taking the time today.
1: Absolutely. Thank you for having me.
0: Thanks for listening, everyone. If you like this show, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And if you really like it, leave us a rating and review as well. To keep up with our seasons and our guests, follow this podcast on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter. This show was edited and produced by EarFluence. I'm Jackie Ferguson. Join us for our next episode of Diversity Beyond the Checkbox. Take care of yourself and each other.